Welcome to the sermon podcast of Good News Lutheran Church of Mount Horeb, Wisconsin. The following sermon was recorded on Christmas Eve, December 24th, 2014, on the basis of Micah chapter 5, verses 2 through 5. It was exactly a century ago on this very night, just a couple of months into what was then simply known as the Great War. But already nearly a million people had lost their lives. Along Europe's western front, you had the British soldiers firmly entrenched on one side and the German soldiers firmly entrenched on the other. And then, on Christmas Eve of 1914, a strange thing happened. Smack dab in the middle of the worst war that the world had ever seen, peace spontaneously broke out. It started when a group of German soldiers lifted some makeshift Christmas trees up above the top of their trenches and started to sing Silent Night. Pretty soon the British soldiers joined in and eventually the first daring man poked up his head and cautiously stepped out. For the next 24 hours, sworn enemies acted as lifelong friends. They joked with one another. They smoked with one another. They played soccer with one another. Some would probably call it a Christmas miracle. And yet, sadly, it didn't last for very long at all. Not only did the singing quickly give way to shooting once again, but within just three short decades, that war could no longer simply be called the Great War, because a second one that was even greater had come along. And so on Christmas Eve of 1942, a small bomber plane took off from our military base in Hawaii, dropped a couple of bombs on a Japanese base in the middle of the Pacific, and then returned. One of those missions that would probably be long lost in the details of history, if not that it happened to be the very first combat mission of one particular soldier on board that plane, a soldier by the name of Louis Zamperini. Louis Zamperini's story is captivating our country even as we speak. At just 19 years of age, he had already been an Olympic distance runner. He probably would have gone on to be the first human being ever to run a sub four-minute mile, if not for World War II. Instead, he got drafted. And six months after that first Christmas Eve flight, Louis' plane went down over the Pacific. He and two fellow soldiers spent an astonishing 47 days stranded at sea, only to finally be found by the enemy. And so Louis spent his next two Christmases suffering unspeakable horrors in various Japanese prison camps. His story is the subject of a best-selling book, now a movie, entitled Unbroken, which opens in Madison in about 23 minutes, I think. 72 years to the day after his first Christmas Eve flight. So 1914, 1942, what about 2014? What are the chances that tonight... Peace 
spontaneously breaks out on earth. Peace between every warring nation, peace between Muslims and Christians, peace between Democrats and Republicans, peace between police officers and protesters, peace between North Korea and Hollywood, peace between you and whoever it might be. If that seems like a long shot, what if I told you that God's idea of peace is actually much, much bigger than that? The biblical word for peace is probably one that you've heard before. The Hebrews call it shalom. And it means much more than simply the absence of fighting. Shalom means that everything is in place. Everything is right. Everything fits. In fact, the image that's on the cover of your service folder tonight tries to illustrate that a little bit. If our lives were a puzzle, then peace would mean that every single piece of our lives is perfectly in place. What are the odds that on Christmas Eve of 2014, that's what happens in your life? Would it take a Christmas miracle? If so, you're already one important step ahead of the people who lived back in the days of this Old Testament prophet named Micah. You see, back in those days, God's people viewed shalom, the way that you and I here in America view life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. They simply assumed that peace was something that they were born with the right to have, something that they were entitled to. They assumed that as God's people, things would always go well for them and that God would always be happy with them. And so God sent prophets like Micah to tell them that this peace that they had so long enjoyed would soon be gone and that they had no one to blame but themselves. I might be going out on a bit of a limb here, but I think that people in our world, people in our community, even the people in this room are much different. And here's what I mean by that. You see, this time of year, I'm sure you have the experience that just about every day, another Christmas card or more arrives in the mail, very often including some sort of picture and maybe even a letter. And you'd probably also agree that after a while, those pictures start to look the same and those letters start to sound the same. Everyone's always smiling. Brothers and sisters are hugging. Mom and dad somehow look well-rested, full of energy, all put together. And you read the letter, and and sure enough, Junior's t-ball team won the championship this year, and daddy's little girl is getting straight A's once again. And of course, it's a wonderful thing to celebrate the blessings that God gives us each and every year. But if you've read enough of those letters or looked at enough of those pictures, maybe you've asked yourself the question, is my life the only one that's not picture-perfect? I can tell you with absolute certainty, it's not. You see, in spite of the way that we portray ourselves to everyone around us, every one of us has things that we struggle with. Every one of us has things that stress us out, things that cause us to be very frustrated, things that cause us to feel very hurt, very disappointed, very sad, even very angry. 
And if in spite of all of that, one of the things that we're really good at is still portraying this idea that our lives are picture perfect, maybe the one thing that we're even better at is finding other people to blame when our life isn't. We can all find someone to blame. Even if at times, half of us are blaming one person and half of us are blaming exactly the opposite person. So it's either our president's fault or it's Congress's fault. It's either the police officer's fault or it's the criminal's fault. It's either the fault of those greedy, wealthy elite or it's the fault of those lazy, entitled poor. We can all find someone to blame. I just think that deep down, we know better. If you're anything like me, you have more than the occasional moment of honesty when you look at your life and realize that everything that's not exactly the way that you want it to be is that way because of you. And so unlike the people in Micah's day, I think experience has taught us that this idea of peace, that everything in our lives would be exactly the way that we want them, certainly isn't something we are entitled to. Maybe isn't even something that we can possibly hope for. which makes it really difficult to believe Micah when he says to us tonight, I want you to meet the man who's going to make it happen. You see, the job of prophets like Micah was not only to tell people that this precious peace was soon going to be gone, it was also to point them ahead to the king, to the ruler who would eventually bring it back. And in these very few short verses, Micah tells us all that we need to know about this king. As we look at these verses, we see that this king is eternal. He has no beginning. He has no end. This king is all-powerful. He simply does whatever pleases him. Nothing is beyond his capability. In fact, if it seems like this king has characteristics that only God possesses, it's of course because this king is in fact God. But now, unlike most kings who usually try to elevate themselves above the people that they rule. This king, who by very nature is so far above the people that he rules, he stoops down and he becomes one of us. This king who is eternal suddenly has a birthday and needs to keep track of the number of candles that go on the cake. This king who fills heaven and earth suddenly has an address and a hometown. This king who is all-powerful suddenly needs to be held and fed and burped and changed by his mother. This king who is God's very son is willing to call himself your brother. And perhaps the most astonishing detail of all is also the most specific one that Micah gives. The one detail for which this prophecy is best known, that the Savior would be born in a town called Bethlehem. Not in the capital, not in a palace, but way off in the sticks in some cattle barn. Now, I would guess that I don't even need to tell you that this prophecy is, of course, talking about Jesus. Bethlehem kind of gives it away, right? Ask a hundred people, Tell me someone that you know that's from the city of Bethlehem, and I can almost guarantee they will all say Jesus. 
But do you know how remarkable it is that one person would be the fulfillment, not only of this prophecy, but of every prophecy in the Old Testament about this coming Savior? Some people count as many as 300 prophecies in the Old Testament that talk about this Savior. Well, one time a guy sat down and he tried to calculate the odds that one person would be able to fulfill just eight of them. Eight out of 300. And he concluded that the odds were one in 10 to the 17th power. In other words, take enough quarters to fill the entire state of Texas. Two feet deep. Take one quarter, put a little red X on it, throw it into the pile and stir it all up. Put a guy in Dallas, blindfold him, spin him around a couple of times, and let him loose. It's the odds of him finding that one quarter that you put an X on. Now, I only mention that because I find it a bit strange and and sometimes a bit troubling that we find it so easy to know and to believe that, that this prophecy is, in fact, about Jesus, even though the odds are incredible. And yet, at times myself included, we find it so difficult to believe the very last thing that Micah tells us, that this king, Jesus, is our peace. Not that he would bring peace, not that he would give peace, but that he is peace. You see, if Micah, if everything that Micah tells us about this king is true, if Jesus really is God's own son, come down to earth to live and to die for us, then our greatest needs have all been met and our deepest desires have all been satisfied. In Jesus, we have the forgiveness of sins, the unconditional pardon of everything that we've ever done wrong. In Jesus, we know that we can stand before God and that he sees us absolutely holy and perfect. In Jesus, we have freedom from the sentence that we deserve, and in its place, we get a free pass to eternal life. In fact, 700 years after this prophecy, when those angels came and proclaimed peace on earth, they weren't so much announcing the arrival of a thing or of an idea, but the arrival of a person. Jesus is our peace. And what that means is that if you have Jesus, you have peace. Do you buy that? So it was 1945 when World War II finally came to an end. But four years after the fighting had ceased, Louis Zamperini still didn't have peace. Every single night he was tormented by these nightmares reliving all of the torture that he had gone through, imagining what it would be like to get his hands around the throats of the men who had held him captive. He was trying to drown those dreams in alcohol, but that wasn't working. And as you can imagine, his life was falling apart. Finally, one night, he woke up from one of these nightmares with his hands around the throat of his loving wife, Cynthia. Thankfully, she stuck with him and within a short amount of time, she decided that she was going to go check out one of those religious revivals that comes to town for a week and then moves on. 
This one happened to be led by a young, up-and-coming preacher named Billy Graham. When she came back that night from this revival, having heard Billy Graham talk about Jesus, she said to Louis, you know how I always said that there's something in our lives that are miss- that's missing? Well, now I know what it is. For the first time in my life, I have peace in my heart. We might think, well, easy for her to say. What about him? Needless to say, he was much more skeptical, in fact, completely reluctant. He didn't want to go. But finally, she talked him into it, and they went the very next night. Following that night, Louis never had another nightmare for the rest of his life. And instead of being obsessed with getting revenge on his captors, he actually took a couple of trips over to Japan, tracked down the guards who had kept him in prison, simply to tell them that he had forgiven them and to share with them what he knew about Jesus. Now, I would love to stand up here tonight and tell you that knowing Jesus will do exactly that for you. Unfortunately, I can't because God doesn't promise that. Knowing Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that everything that frustrates us, everything that causes us to be sad or hurt or angry will instantly and permanently go away. But I can promise you this, and you can hold your God to this, that Jesus is your peace, that in Jesus you have absolutely everything that you need and absolutely everything that your heart so desperately desires. Unconditional forgiveness, absolute acceptance before God, and a guaranteed inheritance in heaven. And if all of that can be exactly right, and in Jesus it most certainly is, can anything in our lives really be all that wrong? You see, Jesus is more than just one piece that needs to be in just the right place in our lives. He's even more than the first piece and the most important piece that needs to be perfectly in place in our lives. Now, when it comes to shalom, when it comes to this perfect, lasting peace, Jesus is the only peace that really matters. And thankfully, Jesus is the gift that God wrapped up and gave to you at Christmas. Amen. For more information about Good News Lutheran Church, visit www.goodnewslc.org.